Florence Williams is the author of The Nature Fix, Why Nature Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Creative. For centuries, poets and philosophers extolled the benefits of a walk in the woods. Beethoven drew... It's interesting. My name has never been right beside Beethoven before. I like that. And it won't be again. (laughs) Beethoven drew inspiration from rocks and trees. Woodsworth composed while tromping over the heath. Nikola Tesla conceived the electric motor while visiting a park. Intrigued by our storied renewal in the nature, in in nature, and in the natural world. <laughs> Nineteen. <laughs> Florence Williams sets out to uncover the science behind nature's positive effects on the brain. From forest trails in Korea to islands in Finland to groves of eucalyptus in California, Williams investigates the science at the confluence of environment, mood, health, and creativity. Delving into completely new research, she uncovers the powers of the natural world to improve health, promote reflection and innovation, and ultimately strengthen our relationships. As our modern lives shift dramatically indoors, this is a phenomenal point. These ideas and the answers they yield are more urgent than ever. FlorenceWilliams.com is the website, and she joins us on the line right now. Florence, thank you for writing this book. Did we catch you in the middle of a nature walk? <laughs> I actually went on a nature bike ride today with my son. Nice. <laughs> nice. Florence, I want to introduce to you uh, my friend Pam, who is sitting beside me, and she is probably one of my greenest friends. Pam, this is Hi, Florence. Pam. Florence, this is Pam. <laughs> Hi, Florence. I checked out your TED Talks last night and uh, so impressed. Thank you, Pam. Glad glad to have a fan over there. <laughs> Excuse me, Pam. I was going to say that, and you totally took my, you took my, uh, oh, man, I'm telling you. Uh, Florence, what is the number one thing that floored you when it came to the research you did, the top thing? I think the top thing was probably that I learned that nature can actually make you a nicer person. <laughs> Time in nature. You know, I knew that it would increase our mood. I knew that it would, you know, sometimes it increases my creativity. If I go for a walk outside, you know, I start to have good ideas. I start to kind of write even sentences in my head, you know, sort of without really trying to. But there's a research showing that being in nature makes us more generous. And more community-minded, that really surprised me. And and part of that came about through the study of awe, A-W-E, you know, what happens to our brains when we see something sort of amazingly beautiful, you know, that sort of blows our minds. Um, and it turns out that one of the things that happens is we do start feeling more connected to other people. We start feeling smaller as we feel connected to something larger, you know, the world around us. Uh, and, and that surprised me, but it also kind of made sense. Uh, Pam, this is resonating with you. Your thoughts? So I was actually fascinated, although I, I love this idea of awe. I'm doing a course right now for teachers, so I'm coming from an education background. And I was curious because we're more and more connected to technology and sort of the flip classroom and the virtual world. And I was wondering what your thoughts were about, you know, we can't go see climate change in Antarctica, but we could watch it on video. Or we can't go see the rainforest. Or even in this area of risk, we're seeing a lot more um, hesitancy for educators to go outside. Uh, you know, I can't control my kids. They need to be responsible. Insurance and all that kind of crazy uh, stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are, you, what are you thinking about this sort of virtual reality? Is there options for nature fix through technology? Uh, you know, you talked about the plant, the household plant on your TED Talk. What are you thinking in that sort of frame? 
Yeah, that's a great question because I've also been interested in sort of the dose question. You know, how much nature do we need? What kind of nature does it have to be? Does it have to be spectacular, you know, and awesome and powerful? And it turns out that the benefits really do exist on kind of a, they sit on a dose curve. So sure, you know, if you can go to a, a mountaintop, you know, you may have a more kind of a spiritual experience. But it shows, there are benefits, in fact, from looking at photographs of nature, looking at views out a window, looking at videos, um, you know, if they're well done. There have been some really interesting studies with prison populations, men in um, solitary confinement. And when they're able to view nature videos in their workout room compared to prisoners who aren't able to view those videos, um, there are, you know, lower incidents of aggression, lower outbursts of violence, greater feelings of sort of calm among those inmates, which really fascinates me. And I know, I mean, I'm not surprised because recently I saw a video, and this would be a great thing to show students too, um, about the dramatic decline in coral reefs around the world. Hmm. Something like 60 percent mm-hmm. of coral reefs died last year. And there was this incredibly well-made film about it. And, and I know that, you know, I was incredibly moved by this film. Um, I know a lot of other people in the room were moved by it. You know, people saying, what can we do? What can we do? So, so certainly um, you can experience some tremendous emotion and some, some real even life-changing behavior just from the film. That's awesome. I, I really like the idea of, not that our children are prisons in our classroom, but... Yes, yes I was. <laughs> For Drew, yeah, the straitjacket came in uh, handy many times. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Having taught in, uh, in lower income neighborhoods, what I saw were kids who didn't, even though we had a river behind us and ravine, a lot of the kids were... Um, you know, they were stuck in their apartments. You know, we called them latchkey. They would go home. Their parents were working two or three jobs. Do you think that the nature fix and even your own background, you know, growing up near the mountains and being to explore and my own background, I'm, I'm white, I've, you know, I embrace the white privilege understanding. Do you think that people in poverty and situations that people that are marginalized, do you think they have the same access to nature? Do you think nature fix will still... I mean, how do you see it working with that uh, group of population or that population? Hold on. This is what I heard you say. Do poor kids from the hood get what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Drew. (laughs) Well, there's no question that that poor kids, underprivileged kids do not have the same access to nature that the rest of us do. And in fact, you can see poverty from space. If you look at a city like where I live, Washington, D.C., you can see that the wealthier neighborhoods have more trees. And the poor neighborhoods don't have trees. So I think there's a huge social justice and equity issue around access to nature. There's just no doubt about that. But I've also traveled around the world, and I've seen places where smart planning, smart public policies can help improve that inequality. So, for example, in Singapore, there's there's worker housing that has um, courtyards. There are biking trails that go through all kinds of neighborhoods. Where I live in Washington, D.C., there's a huge effort to clean up the Anacostia watershed and river, which is really in one of the poorest neighborhoods in the city. Um, there are some fantastic programs, you know, trying to get kids outside, trying to get their parents outside. Because I think what's happening is that as more evidence, you know, becomes clear that nature is not only kind of a luxury, but in fact a necessity to help us de-stress and sort of recover, 
on the stresses of urban living, that that this has become a priority for, for at least some cities, some schools, and some planners. And, of course, I'd like to see it become even more that way because I, I think, you know, if, if anything, kids are even more stressed out today than they used to be. Um, you know, there's more pressure to stay inside. There are more temptations inside with, you know, our digital devices. Schools are cutting recess right and left. So, so I feel like, you know, the time is just critical now to try to make some of these changes. Wow. Okay, you just got my attention. You said schools are cutting recess? Yeah, because they want more math. Uh, they want more testing time. You know what? I finally found something I actually want to protest. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, ho, ho, leave my recess. It don't got to go. No, it doesn't work at all. Um, So, okay. Uh, Actually, while he's thinking, I was thinking about... uh, (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. Majora Carter. Welcome to my life. Uh, Yeah, Majora Carter and her work in Chicago and really using nature as the green industries push and saying not only do we need this, but it's creating jobs. That's right. That's right. It is creating jobs. Um, And you see this with veteran communities, too. Lots of jobs being created in the outdoors. Um, it, you know, it just it just makes sense that that populations that are stressed out can have sort of double the benefits. Um, and and we've seen this in epidemiological studies too, large scale studies um, in places like the UK that show even the poorer you are and the less healthy you are, the more access you have to green space, the greater the benefits. So the more you start to sort of approach the health of of people around you who actually make more money, and some of that is really mediated by green space. It's quite fascinating. Florence, at the risk of sounding like a hockey player who's had one too many pucks to the head, <laughs> uh, and dumbing this down that's a little. You're Canadian. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and sort of dumbing this down a little bit. Here's here's what I get out of this. Nature's good for you. Get out in it. That's it. Okay. That's the whole message. Okay, but you wrote a whole book on that, and so I'm trying, <laughs> like, uh, I, I guess what I, now with Pam being here, I, I mean, I didn't even take into consideration the whole, you know, people from the hood who can't get out into nature, uh, so what do they do? And and then you've got not even people who who growed up in the hood, <laughs> but, but people who are choosing to stay in their condos and buy artificial nature stimulators, whether it's... You know, oils or or diffusers or have the nature channel on or the fish channel. Or or the fact that we have to have, you know, those lights to help with our vitamin D. Exactly, exactly, yeah. I don't know. So I guess, see, this is my life. I Like I just, last year I walked the Camino de Santiago over in Spain and I spent 10 hours a day outside every day uh, for three months walking a thousand kilometers. So Drew, I have a question for you. Do you feel like that changed your brain? The evidence isn't obvious yet. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Tim, how often is your wife coming on the show? <laughs> Sorry. Never again. <laughs> um, well, I, I do, but it also, what, I'm, what I was just blocking there on, was it, did it have to do with walking or did it have to do with the fact that I was walking in silence? I, was, I took a vow of silence for three months as well. Oh, my same, God. That's time. so cool. Um, well, okay, so that's a great question, and researchers have been asking that, because there are studies that show when people go walk in a forest, their blood pressure decreases, their stress hormones decrease, um, their heart rate, you know, and respiration decrease, and, and so part of it is, you know, people are wondering, well, duh, you know, they're walking, and yeah. it's exercise, but, you know, so researchers have actually kind of, you know, figured that out as a, as a possible thing they should look at and control for, and so... 
what they're typically doing is they're sending similar groups of people to walk in a city for the same amount of time, the same distance, the same mileage. And they're just not seeing these nervous system benefits in the city walkers that they're seeing in the nature walkers. Mm. So they've kind of managed to tease out the straight exercise piece. But of course, exercise is incredibly important. We know it is. And so when you can walk in nature, you know, you're maybe getting sort of twice the benefit. Um, but, but even people who just sit in nature or sit in their backyard or sit in a garden for a period of time, um, those people are also um, it, it reaching some kind of restorative state, whether it's because they're listening to bird song or they're surrounded by the color green. Um, maybe they're looking at fractal patterns. Some physicists claim that these fractal patterns that are found in nature actually can change the, the kind of um, brain waves, you know, that our brains are putting out. So, so I don't think we figured out like exactly which element of nature is the magic bullet, but it seems like there's something about the whole package that our brains and our nervous systems really like and mm. really respond to. Okay, well, let me finish with this. And, I, you know, my apologies. I don't really know what your spiritual path has been. I don't know if you have any kind of religious thing or spiritual thing or whatever. It's not that I care. My question, well, I do care. But my question is this. In the, in the God scene that I've been a part of for so many years, people say, uh, well, if, you're, if you don't feel like you're close to God, get out in nature. And that's the way God communicates you. And my pushback to that has always been, well, maybe... Or maybe it's just nature being nature, and nature is awesome. Well, then they go, well, God created nature, and that's his way. Okay, whatever. Question is here, can you understand the correlation? Tribes over so many years have felt a connection to their gods always through nature, in every tribe. Pagan, Christian, Jewish, whatever. Um, yes, I can understand the question. I, I don't think God needs to be part of this equation. In fact, in the 18th century, Edmund Burke, you know, English philosopher, he took God out of the equation. And in those days, people really thought in order to find God, you need to be in a church, and you need to have a priest, you know, to help sort of mediate your religious experience. And, and this young guy, Edmund Burke, he was in his 20s, he went out and he started climbing these mountains and seeing waterfalls and watching these big, you know, storms come sweeping through the, the heat. And he said, wow, you know, I feel, I feel an incredible amount of spirituality. I feel the sublime. And it's, it's not because I'm in a church. It's because I'm out in nature. So he actually tried very hard to separate those two and said, you, you know, you don't have to really believe in God. You don't have to think that God is part of this. Nature itself creates this sense of sublimity and wonder and power and amazement. Um, so, so I think, you know, there's something there for everyone, whether you want to put God in it or not. Well said. Pam? Well, I was thinking, you know, you referenced Wilson's work on biophilia, and it's been around, and then Louv's work came out with uh, Nature Hold Deficit Disorder. Hold on, you disorder. are making this show sound way smarter oh, than it normally does. <laughs> but, I, but I'm He's thinking... Well <laughs> I'm thinking, like, why haven't we changed? Like, why haven't we embraced this earlier? Why is this taking us so long? That's a, that's a good question. I think it's partly because for a long time, nature worship, you know, was kind of put in this basket of being not very serious, of being sort of like new agey or kind of woo-woo. <laughs> and, and we didn't have a lot of data. You know, we live in the Western world, right, especially in the United States, North America, we are an evidence-based culture. We want to see the data. And for a long time, we didn't have that data. But that's why I wanted to write this book, because suddenly, you know, in the last 10 or 15 years, We've been able to take lab equipment outside the lab and actually put people in different environments, see what's happening to their brains. We've been able to scan their brains. We've been able to see what's happening to their blood pressure. 
Um, and so now there's data, and it's pretty compelling. And I think that's why now was this new moment of talking about it and sort of rediscovering it. Are you happy, Pam? Yes, thanks, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope you two never meet in person. <laughs> We'll go for a hike if we do. Um, Absolutely. And, and Pam's <laughs> Pam's husband, Tim, as we call him Tim the Tool, because of how many mistakes he makes in every show, he <laughs> wants you to come back and talk about your other book. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I do. I, hey, sign me up. I'm always ready. <laughs> okay. If you want to know more about that, Google her. <laughs> Google, not Google. Okay. Uh, Listen, uh, Florence, what a pleasure to chat with you. Again, the website is FlorenceWilliams.com, FlorenceWilliams.com. She's the author of The Nature Fix, Why Nature Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Creative. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Thank you, Florence. Thank you so much, and go outside, everyone, and enjoy this beautiful day. Beautiful. Beautiful. Bye.